and the honor of gathering together as family this evening. Thank you for truth that continues to set us free. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for finding a way so that we might share in your perfect righteousness and fellowship with you and eternal life. We know this was accomplished on a cross, Father, 2,000 plus years ago, for which we are most grateful and thankful for. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the Gospel, Salvation, and Sanctification, Part 2. Now is the time to focus, folks. Philippians 3.13 says, Forgetting what lies behind. Matthew 6.34, Do not be anxious about tomorrow. That cleaves out yesterday and tomorrow, leaving us doing this thing that truly does matter most. So let's take advantage of the grace we've been given here once again this evening. It's not apparent by now. The Holy Spirit's got a bone to pick. Hmm. It might be summarized this way. Today's gospel, little g, the little g gospel today is a cheap, emotional gospel, not the one Jesus Christ preached. It has been watered down to something that Jesus would have rejected as truth. Believing a wrong gospel doesn't result in salvation. Again, the gospel today is cheap, emotional gospel, not the one that Jesus Christ preached. That's where we have to go to find the gospel truth. We have to go to him. I mean, after all, he is the centerpiece of the gospel, is he not? And if anyone was going to speak coherently and perfectly about the subject, it would be him. And it's amazing that more people, myself included for years, haven't spent more time or spent more time uh, looking at what he had to say. Go to Luke 13.23. Luke 13.23. Remember all that the Spirit taught us through the two parts of justification by faith as well, that justification by faith, which is the the judicial aspect of salvation has never changed. The details and the knowledge of details have changed, but how a person is saved has never changed. So we can't get what some do, what I'll call dispensationally wacky. We can't modify or change or pervert the gospel. It's really one thing. It's always been one truth. So dispensations are not. We have to listen to what the Bible and what specifically Jesus Christ has to say on this all-important subject. Luke 13, 23. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Will not be able. 
Well, that doesn't sound all that easy, in a sense, and I use the word loosely. Again, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? Valid concern. Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Well, strive is from agonizomai up here in the board. Strive from agonizomai means to fight, to struggle, to strive, literally, to agonize. Jamieson Fawcett Brown have it. The word signifies to contend as for the mastery, to struggle, expressive of the difficulty of being saved as if one would have to force his way in. Now, whether or not that is something you like or not is not the issue. But we know that there is an agonizing striving going on. Not that, and there will be more color to this in a moment, but we cannot discount the Lord Jesus Christ's chosen word. And this is it, to strive. So entering through the narrow gate, there's going to be many, he said, that will seek to enter but will not be able to enter. So again, agonizomai means to fight, to struggle, to strive, literally to agonize. Jamieson Fawcett Brown signifies to contend as for the mastery, to struggle, expressive of the difficulty of being saved, as if one would have to force his way in. So this may be a shock to some people for sure, especially given the ridiculousness of the gospel presentation nowadays. Nonetheless, we simply cannot dispel our words here. Again, verse 24. Strive, I just gave you that, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Up here on the board, a little more from Jamison Fawcett Brown. For many will seek, desire that is, with a mere wish or slothful endeavor, and shall not be able because it must be made a life and death struggle. And that's what Jesus was getting at. If you don't take it serious, if listen, if your eternal life is not serious to you, if you think that it's just something to be poof-had, if you think that your sinfulness, your sin life, your self-life isn't a problem for the Lord Jesus Christ, if there's no magnitude, in other words, there's not much of a struggle, is there? There's not a whole lot of striving going on because you don't think there's anything really to... It's not a life-and-death situation, is it? Not really. Not if you don't take it seriously. And that's what Jesus was saying plainly. He said, many will seek. They will have a certain desire. If you ask anybody, hey, listen, you want to go to hell or heaven? I definitely want to go to heaven. But that's not enough. And that's what Jesus was saying. There are going to be some that ask that question, how do I get to heaven? Like we'll see with the rich ruler. How do I get eternal life? But when push came to shove, he walked away. I guess it's something he didn't strive after. That's the point. For many will seek desire that is with a mere wish or slothful endeavor and shall not be able because it must be made a life and death struggle. 
what Jesus was saying plainly was that unless a person truly believes that salvation is a matter of life and death, their attitude towards the free invitation will lack the appropriate repentance. If you think it's just a joke, if it's just something that Grandma wants to hear you say, will you please just say you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so we can go on with Thanksgiving dinner? So I feel comfortable praying with you. But this isn't about Grandma at Thanksgiving. This is about what the Lord thinks about you. What He sees when He looks at your heart. Do you consider this an issue of life and death? If it was an issue, if most people thought of it as life and death, wouldn't the churches be literally overflowing every single day? Because they'd say, I need to find, I'm going to die. I'm going to go to hell. I'm going to be separated from God unless I figure out what it takes to be saved. People would be flooding the churches, but they're not, are they? Not at all. They're out on golf courses saying, how do you say Hey, uh, how'd you say you get saved again? Oh, here's a coin. <laughs> Believe that. You're still away. <laughs> it's a big joke. The gospel's a joke now, you see? Everybody wants this sort of, what I'll get to, easy, easy believism. Verse 24 again. So now you have the original even. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us, then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. And they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are lost or last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Today's lesson could have easily been titled the narrow gate. However, the Spirit desires to make this part of an entire series, hence part two. But this evening's subtitle could easily be the narrow gate. I was thinking about this today, and it brought up that blog I wrote not so long ago, titled Pure Violence. A quote from that, is the greatest injury we can ever play a part in, is the same one that Satan has dealt mankind from the beginning. A false gospel. The biggest injury we can give anyone is really to deal them a false gospel. Give them even possibly a false hope. Tell them that they're all set. If they just believe in the facts. And we don't even, what, talk about sin? We don't even mention repentance? We just, what, want to keep it short? So the greatest 
violence, pure violence, the greatest injury we can ever play a part in is the same one that Satan has dealt mankind from the beginning, a false gospel from the blog likewise. Violence against him is not only rampant, it is tolerated. This is especially grotesque when many tolerators are believers. How dare, how dare, in other words, how dare we misrepresent him? If he said when he was incarnate on the earth, this is what I need, this is what I expect, this is what you need, this is your part to be saved, and then we go, well, you know, today's 2015, people are busy, they don't, you know, they're not going to really want to give up the self-life, so why don't we just tell them, believe this and you'll go to heaven? Let's just make it a mental ascent thing. Let's throw the heart out the door. But that wasn't Jesus Christ's intention at all. And if you had a heart against him, he wasn't afraid and he didn't hesitate to tell you. And he would go somewhere else. <laughs> Jesus Christ has commissioned his disciples. Go to Matthew 28, 18. Matthew 28, 18. So it is true, we have this thing upon us called the Great Commission. And don't miss how and whose commands he's talking about adhering to. Matthew 28, 18, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on, the, on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Whose commands are we to be following? His commands. So if we're going to find out from the very beginning what it is, the expectations are, what His commands are, even relative to the gospel, to salvation, then we need to hear His words. Up here on the board. Relative to the Great Commission, if there's only one thing we ever get right, I speak as a man does, let it be the gospel. Seriously, there's only one thing we ever get right in this entire ministry. Let it be the gospel. We've got to get the gospel right. The first question that many seem to be confused about is fundamental, not only to salvation, but also to sanctification after salvation, but it's related to evangelism. Is the gospel a simple presentation of facts followed by a mental assent to believe those facts? Or is there more to it than that? Does simply believing that Jesus is real and that he wants to give them blessings save a person? Is this what it's about? Jesus Christ is what? Coin operated now? If you say you believe, I'll dole out some blessings. This is how we present our Lord. The answer, contrary to some of the more contemporary versions of the gospel, is a resounding no. And this is an easily coined phrase. It's not, quote-unquote, to become doctrine per se, but you'll get the point. Easy believism. 
is the false doctrine that God saves those who merely offer mental assent without the biblical conditions of the heart being met. This is part of the broad way that leads to destruction. Let's call it easy believism. It's a false doctrine that God saves those who merely offer mental assent without the biblical conditions of the heart being met. This is part of the broad way that leads to destruction. Matthew 7.13. We'll get there in a moment. Raise your hand if you like being lied to. Well, what's the so-called golden rule as our Lord Jesus Christ Himself stated it? Go to Matthew 7.12. So who wants to be lied to, right? I was having a discussion with uh, another pastor today on this subject. And it came about in the discussion that really as shepherds, this is our responsibility. If we don't, or if we make it somehow less than what it's supposed to be, well, we're totally in the wrong. We could actually damage an individual by sending them off with false hope. Off to the wolves. So this is very important stuff, folks. Matthew seven twelve. First things first, who likes to get lied to? No one. And everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. So, <laughs> do you want anybody to lie to you about the, the, the gospel? No. Then should we be lying to them about the gospel? No. We can't be selfish just because we're believers, hopefully, in some situations. We've got to get the gospel completely stated. And when we do, just FYI, I promise you, all the other little things that have bothered you over the years will suddenly become seamless and simple. This has been percolating up from the pulpit for years now. I often refer to the gospel as this. So you want to know the whole gospel? There you have it. You want to understand all the, all the little details? There you go. That's what the Bible is. As far as I'm concerned, every account, every interaction, everything, whether you're talking about Old Testament, New Testament, it's all pivoting around the gospel. Someone's either arguing for it or defending it. That's the truth. So all the little details... Matthew 7, 13. Enter through the narrow gate. Again, still red letters, right? Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. I don't have license to tell you what the percentages are, but those are the Lord's words. So, in other words, if we present the gospel correctly, guess what? Most of the people that hear it are going to walk away. If you present the gospel, and out of 5,000 people, 4,999 say, oh, I'm totally in. Chances are the gospel might be a little watered down. It might be a little perverted. Just saying. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying these are the Lord's words. 
The gate is narrow, and there are a few who find it up here on the board. On that line, Jesus taught that one must diligently look for it in order to find salvation. He said earlier, strive. It's a struggle. You've got to find you. This is life and death. You have to find the right answer. And if you go to the wrong church, don't blame them when it comes to judgment because you were lazy. Don't blame the, this denomination or that denomination. God put it in us to know better. So Jesus taught that one must diligently look for it in order to find salvation. Those who express faith in something they hardly look for won't find it. God promises to save those who seek Him. Proverbs 8, 17, Jeremiah 29, 13, Luke 11, 9. Go to Proverbs 8, 17. Proverbs 8, 17. See, a person who doesn't think that their sinfulness is an issue, they don't seek Him, do they? They may hear the gospel proper. They may hear a wonderful declaration of it. I have a conversation with someone on it, and it falls on deaf ears because they don't have a repentant heart. Their heart is such like the Pharisee or the rich man, the one that, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. There has to be a surrender, and this is a heart issue. You don't surrender your heart with words. There has to be repentance. There has to be conditions of the heart, in other words. And what does the Lord say? Proverbs eight seventeen. I love those who love me. And you think he's talking about, well, if you just say out loud, you love me, then you love me. You think that's what he's saying here? Do you think love is that shallow? That this is what God's talking about? The Lord God saying, if you say you love me, then I love you. I don't think so. The Lord looks at what? The heart. If you love me, if your heart loves me, I love those who love me. And those who what? Diligently seek me will find me. Go to Jeremiah 29.13. Jeremiah 29.13. So there's a diligence here, folks, whether you like it or not, whether that's an uh, a, um, inconvenience for the one who's seeking eternal life quickly because they're on a schedule. I'm on a schedule. My day planner says I've got to be somewhere in 15 minutes. Give it to me. Give it to me now. Boom, saved. That's the gospel today, folks. That's what's filling seats. And they're all waving hands in the audience and listening to music. Woo! And some musician who's making millions of dollars is just saying, Yeah, grace, yeah, Jesus loves you. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you search for me. How? With all your heart. With all your what? Your heart. Go to Luke 11.5. Luke 11.5. I hope you see what the Spirit's doing. He's ridding you of any silliness. Luke 
New Testament, right? You got red letters there? Yeah. Here we go. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. This is an issue of prayer, folks. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Who gets the Holy Spirit? A believer. And you have to seek him how? Diligently. You have to be looking. Your heart has to be looking for that answer. You realize that you're a sinner, that you have nowhere to go, that your self-righteousness just is not going to cut it. And you need a Lord and Savior. And that's not, folks, a mental ascent. That's not something that... That's how quickly it can happen in terms of salvation. We're not talking about that. We're talking about getting there. We're talking about understanding the issue in that moment. There's an awful lot of things that are going on in that moment. And that's what we have to understand. And that's what Jesus was getting at. If it's just in that moment you're looking for an easy way to get eternal life, and you just want to, mm-hmm, yep, okay, next thing next conquest for the day, then he's not having it. You have to have a conditioned heart, as we'll get to at some point, the parable of the soils. The soil has to be ready. So, if you seek him with all your heart, Allah Jeremiah 29, 13, he will respond to you. He wants to know your heart is in it. That's the point of Luke 11 that parable we just read. Well, how much do you really want it? Did you say you want it? How much do you really want it? It was by what? Persistence that they got their answer. Seek him diligently. Back to the parable of the narrow gate. Go to Matthew 7.13. Matthew 7.13. Is it true that grace pursues us? Yep. Is it true that God says, I will reach across that chasm by means of grace to save your butt? Yep. But you have to be wanting of it. You have to be a humble receiver of it. Your soil has to be ready to eventually grow fruit even. Which we'll get to in a moment. A lot of people say they believe, believe they believe, and have zero fruit. But we'll get to that. Matthew seven thirteen. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, 
and there are few who find it. Again, the points up here in the board that we need to absorb. Easy believism is the false doctrine that God saves those who merely offer mental assent without the biblical conditions of the heart being met. This is part of the broad way that leads to destruction, Matthew 7.13. These are heart issues. Jesus will not tolerate anything but an absolute decision in the soul of every individual. The heart must be repentant of sin and looking to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. That's a condition, folks. That's not something you just agree to in terms of facts. This is a condition of the individual. The heart is in the right place, folks. The blunt point that Jesus is teaching his disciples here is that not many make that decision. Some may come with an earnestness for eternal life. I mean, who doesn't want that? Even maybe they ask the right questions. How do I get it? I'd like to have that. Nothing wrong with that. But when God gives them the answer to their questions about how to receive eternal life, they walk away because they are unwilling in their hearts to surrender their lives unto the Lord. Hold your thumb there. Go to Matthew 16, 24. Matthew 16, 24. Matthew 16, 24. Just so you don't think I'm making this stuff up. Oh, here we go again. And Jesus said, here we go again. Jesus, I guess there's no problem with finding Scripture on this subject. See, what happens is the folks that are peddling counterfeit gospels and weak, pathetic gospels, they only go to Paul. They don't go to the source. They go to Paul with his grace message, who was often defending and presenting grace because he had to. But that was in addition to, guess who? The founder of faith, the author and perfecter of our faith. Come on! Who are we going to listen to? And I'm not saying we don't listen to Paul. You get my point. Where are we going to go to get our fundamentals on the gospel? We have to go to Jesus Christ himself. Matthew 16, 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Is that not plain vanilla or what? If you want to follow me, if you want to come after me, you've got to deny yourself. That's a condition, do you see, of salvation even. The condition is that you're willing to say, that's it. I have to, what we call, repent. You're never going to turn to Jesus unless you repent from the old life. Fair statement? So why do we make up goofy things? Why do we want to water it down? Why do we want to tell people? Why do we not want to tell people about this? 
Why do we not want to lead? Listen, the next time you evangelize someone, start off with the question, do you think you're a sinner? What do you think about your own righteousness before God? Do you believe that God's perfect? Do you think you're perfect? Do you think you can ever measure up to God? If he says the only way you're ever going to fellowship with me is if you have my perfect righteousness, do you really think you can measure up to God? Do you think that? That's the starting conversation. Not, hey, here's a coin. Say these words with me. Bow your head while you're at it, will you? Oh, you're saved. You said it. You're good. Did you mean it? I totally meant it. I totally meant it. I totally want eternal life. Of course you do. I don't want a Lord, though. I just want a Savior. That's a phony. That's someone who six months later, six weeks later, six days later, is back to their own games. Nothing has changed. There's no fruit whatsoever. Whatsoever. It's the funniest thing, folks. Again, Jesus bluntly states what most peddlers of today's gospel refuse to include in their message. Up here on the board, these are heart issues, folks. Only a person who's willing to surrender themselves, giving up the self-life, exchanging the worldly yoke for the Lord's, is eligible for salvation. Now, this is a desire. Anybody here giving up the self-life completely? But I sure do desire it. And ever since I've been saved, he's been all over that. You still desire? Of course I still desire. You know what? I gave you that desire. Huh, imagine that. I gave you the faith. I even give you the ability to do it. I'm going to sanctify you in time. God sees the heart. None of us can expect to be flipped overnight. But God sees the heart. These are heart issues. Only a person who's willing to surrender themselves, willing, willing to surrender themselves, giving up the self-life, exchanging the worldly yoke for the Lord's, is eligible for salvation. If you're not willing, if you don't desire those things, you're not in the right place. Your soil is rocky, maybe. Maybe the gospel takes a little root, then it hits the rock, and it withers away. No fruit. Matthew 16, 24 to 26. Luke 18, 18 to 27. So make sure you're getting this right, folks. This is not legalism by any means. This is truth. Unfortunately, most people that arrive at the narrow gate seem to be like the rich man that walked right up to it, read the sign, and was pleased. However... When the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the gate, told him he needed to give up his ties to his personal wealth, which was for him the self-life, he chose to walk away. He asked all the right questions. He did earnestly want eternal life. It's pretty obvious, as we'll see. But Jesus said, that's not it. You can't just want what I have to give you. You have to give up the old thing. You have to repent from that and turn to me. And he said, can't do it. I'm very wealthy. We'll see it. You see, if it had merely been an issue of mental assent of facts, the ruler would have been allowed to pass. But Jesus said, 
I need to be the Lord in your life. You need to dump your ties to the self-life and all of its power over you. That's got to be your desire. When the ruler heard this, he rejected the true gospel. The crime that is being committed by today's churches and evangelists is that they don't turn away the unrepentant sinner. What? Is it too messy? What? They won't turn away the unrepentant sinner. Heck, I haven't talked to somebody in three months. Just, just come over here, will you? I just, I, just want, I just want to be able to say somewhere in my day calendar that somebody was saved by me. Oh, you won't, you won't repent? Don't worry about it. Let's race that part out. Even though Jesus made it obvious that that was part of it. That was the precondition, if you would. That's part of the problem in today's evangelism. They don't turn away unrepentant sinners. They say, well, maybe later you can make a decision about Jesus as Lord. For now, just believe these here facts. Here's a little pamphlet. That's a horrible misrepresentation of our Lord's heart. Don't believe me? Let's read the account of the aforementioned ruler who steps right up to the gate, Jesus, and then walks away unsaved. Go to Luke 18.18. Luke 18.18. And whenever we read his words, if Jesus Christ, the same person who said, you've got to have the faith of a child, speaks, he's not going to speak in such a way that you have to be a Ph.D., to unravel a parable. Chances are, the simplest explanation is the right one. And that's another mistake people do. They dissect these things to the nines, they get in fights and arguments over it, and it's so obvious what he was trying to say. Luke 18, 18, a ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's a fair question. Jesus said to him already, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. This man wasn't saved, so why call Jesus good? So the ruler Jesus wasn't God. It's likely the ruler was merely maneuvering with Jesus to keep audience with him. Of course, Jesus called him out in verse 19, and Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. Jesus knew this was impossible, but he chose to test the ruler against the law the man was failing miserably at love. So verse 22, he says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Follow Jesus implies repentance, folks. It means the test was on the table, wasn't it? He said, I know your heart. I'm God. I already know your heart. I can see your heart. Your heart is stuck in the self-life. You come to me for eternal life, and I already see your heart. What say you of your life? Will you follow me? Will you give up the self-life, repent, and follow me? Here's the mic. Before we continue, though, 1 John 3.17 up here on the board. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? 
the ruler was standing at the gate to eternal life, and his heart was being tested, not his intellect. This man was very likely intellectual, very likely high up the food chain in Judaism, which would imply a certain intellect. So Jesus wasn't interested in teaching this guy a doctrine, specifically or strictly speaking. He was testing this man's heart, not his intellect. If Jesus were a mushy God, a weak God, then he'd have done what most Christians seem to suggest we do with the gospel. He would have watered it down so the rich man could have kept his ties to the self-life and gained eternal life. But he what? He did not. And remember, this is a parable, so again, don't get all weird. Well, maybe later, maybe later the guy was, you know. No. He's proving a point. Faith of a child. What's he saying? He says, listen, if you're not willing to give up the self-life, you can't have me. End of story. End of story. That's it. Why do we shy away from that? Why do we not say that to people when we go to evangelize them? Why do we, why do we all shock ourselves around when we talk about Jesus Christ? Why do we bend to other people when we try to evangelize them? For what? You're going to try to trick them into salvation? And try to ease the gospel a little. Let me just water it down a little bit, please. Don't look over there, Jesus. Let's just water it down a little bit so one more can come in. Because I love this one. I love this one. I want to believe they're saved, so I'm going to water it down so we both can be convinced. Even though at the end of it all, they're going to go to the lake of fire unless they really believe the gospel proper. Is this what we want? Or are we going to do a disservice to everybody? What are we going to do? We're going to be like Jesus. Do we want what Jesus had to say on the subject? Oh, do we want what most people say on the subject? Want to lie to people, give them false hope, send them on their way, say sucks to be you? Right, Ann? Is that what we're going to say? Jesus didn't. Why would we? Seems ridiculous. And yet that's what most people do. So there's a very important, this is very important for folks out there that think they have the right to, quote, feel for the unrepentant, self-serving souls out there. This account is a very telling one indeed. Jesus was saying up here on the board, he was testing the self-life heart. You know, the one that hasn't really given up on the self-life yet. Isn't interested in being saved from that thing. The ruler, though he wanted eternal life, refused the conditions of salvation. He specifically refused to give up the self-life for the life the Lord Jesus offered him. That's the parable. He stood at the gate said, there it is. Woo, eternal life. I came to the right place. There was the gate, the person himself, standing there. He said, give it all up and follow me. Follow me. Turn, turn away from all that stuff, and then you can come after me. No, I just want that. I'm going to be a run around over here, and then when it's time for me to die, I want to come right back to this gate and go. No. And he didn't apologize. He said, no, that's not the deal. That's not my salvation. I hate sin. Why in the world would I want you to 
why would I want to presuppose that you're going to keep on living in something that I hate? I want to be your Lord. I want to be your Savior. I don't want a divided heart. And that's what he said. So he's testing the self-life heart. The ruler, though he wanted eternal life, refused the conditions of salvation. He specifically refused to give up the self-life for the life the Lord Jesus offered him. You see, this is a pristine picture of most so-called Christians nowadays, isn't it? This is why I believe, personally, and it doesn't matter what I think, but this is what I believe, and I think it's supported with the language, with Jesus' language, few enter through. I believe there are a lot of people out there that think they're going to heaven, but they are not. And you all know how, it doesn't matter, but that, it breaks my heart to think of one person not going to heaven. Now, when I have to cope with the fact that there are a lot of people out there that think they're in the light when they're in the dark, that's even, it's, it's like heaped on. It's a horrible, horrible thing. But the truth is, they never once desired to give up the self-life for the Lord's offer. Many have bought a lie, even a cheap counterfeit gospel. Again, verse 22, 18-22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. That was just a test, folks. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Huh. Again, the point of the board, the ruler wanted eternal life, but refused the conditions of salvation. He refused to give up the self-life for the life of the Lord uh, that the Lord Jesus had offered him. Okay? So this is actually an account. I think I've been mistaken to call it a parable. It's not a parable. It's an account. Matthew's account of this scene adds the rulers leaving up here on the board. Matthew 19.22. But when the young man heard this statement, <clears throat> he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. So he was, you know, upset that he couldn't have both. But yet, what, but yet, what did he choose? He chose the self-life. He was upset he couldn't have both, so he went away grieving. But did he give up and did he follow Jesus? No. He turned his back and walked away, right back to where he came from. So he came right up to the gate, said, that's not something I'm interested in, and walked away. That's a picture of how many times, you know, that happens probably every day. So you must understand this simple scene. If you teach truth, most people will only want it if they perceive that it allows them to cling to the old life. If you teach people, most are okay as long as they perceive they can still hold on to the old life, which is why the accuracy of the gospel is that important. We cannot leave room where Jesus didn't. This is why Jesus watched the man's unrepentant heart walk away. Verse 24, And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the, enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, the things that are impossible with people are possible 
with God. So after the scene, the people say, then who can be saved? Isn't everybody like that? He made a tremendously important statement for all to hear up here on the board. Again, testing the self-life heart. Only God can impute perfect righteousness to an individual. Jesus said, follow me. However, for an unrepentant heart, that is literally impossible. Matthew 16, 24-25. Self-righteousness cannot be any part of salvation. Only God's perfect righteousness can make it possible. What did the person, what did the rich man want to do? He wanted to add to his already beaming collection of self-righteousness. You heard him. He says, what about all these commands? Yep, I kept them perfect. Okay, then. Why don't you turn on the self-life and follow me? Nope. I just want to keep on adding to my so-called perfect righteousness. See, the man thought he could do that. And when the people said, then how's somebody saved? He said, only God can save. Only God can impute perfect righteousness to an individual. Jesus said, follow me. However, for an unrepentant heart, that is literally impossible. Self-righteousness cannot be part of salvation. Only God's perfect righteousness can make it possible. That's not what the ruler wanted to hear. The ruler wanted to hear, listen, I'm so good at what I do. Just tell me what I need to do. Give me another Law, little law, or give me another little protocol, or give me another little thing that I can intellectualize and then mentally ascend to, and I'll nail it. I promise you, I'll nail it, and I'll be perfect on my own. Nope. Nope. This is what I really need. I need you to turn away from all that thinking that you're self-righteous, which is nothing more than arrogance. I need to turn away from all that, and I need you to follow me. No way. Not interested. Walked away. Go to Matthew 7.13. Back to the narrow way. These are important topics, folks. If you're going to understand the heart that Jesus presented in the gospel, then you understand what, what he talked about, who he interacted with, how he interacted with them. And this ought to be our, these ought to be the basis of our guiding principles when we consider the gospel, Matthew seven thirteen, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. Okay, if I say, all right, here's a coin, everybody in, I got 6,000 people in here right now. Okay, all right, ushers, pass out the coins. Pass out the coins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved, you'll have eternal life. John three sixteen, Acts 16, 31. Okay, they're both on there, right? Everybody raise their hand if you think you're saved. If you want to believe you've got to get eternal life. Woo, yeah, 6,000 people are saved. Call it a night. I don't got to go home and update the website. 6,000 evangelized with a coin. Does that not sound like a broad way? Does that not seem like a false gospel? Does that not marry the broad way that leads to destruction? Am I not fooling people? Does not Satan go and... Booyah, that was awesome. Now i got a bunch of idiots that think they're in the light, and they're going to spend the rest of their life thinking they're in the light, and they're going to go back to their old lives and think they're in the light. And i got them locked, stock, lock, and barrel. I love that goes. Lock, stock, and barrel. Did I say it right? Second time's best. 
It's like putting. I got them all. I got them nailed. Right? I got them nailed. Are you kidding me? Does that sound like Jesus Christ at all? No way. He would have never proposed such a thing. He deals with individuals. That's another thing people have this weird conception of. Well, I'm a member of this church, and the church is going to heaven, so I'm going to church with I'm going to heaven with the church. What? Oh, my parents are believers. Oh, my spouse is a believer, and they're so good at it that I'm going to just when it when I when it comes if that horn ever happens, a thing that you know these freaks keep talking about, I'm just going to make sure I'm going to grab their arm. Looks like I take a ride up to heaven with them. <laughs> Serious people. But until then, I'm going to stay over here with the self-life. That is ridiculous. Look at verse 14. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Few. I didn't say that. That's the Lord. Few. That means it's not quite as, quote-unquote, easy as the gospel peddlers today make it sound. Is it? It is not. You have to give up the self-life. You have to desire nothing more than to leave that garbage heap behind for new life for Christ. And if you don't have that desire, then you're not saved. It doesn't work that way. There are few who find it. To our previous points again, Easy believism is the false doctrine that God saves those who merely offer mental assent without the biblical conditions of the heart being met. This is part of the broad way that leads to destruction, Matthew 7.13. We are talking about heart issues, folks. Jesus will not tolerate anything but an absolute decision in the soul of every individual. The heart must be repentant of sin and looking to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Let's continue now. I'm almost out of time. <clears throat> Beware of the false prophets. Are you in Matthew 7? Okay, verse 15. Beware of the false prophets. Prophet means a teacher, by the way, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. We don't know the specifics there. We don't need to know the specifics. All we do know is that there are false teachers out there that could care less about giving you the gospel. They really, they would be sitting here right now if they were in my position. They're going, oh, here we go. Probably going to lose a couple more people. This one's going to sting. This one's going to upset people. Few make it through the narrow gate. Those are my expectations, folks. Truth be told. It's probably why we don't have 50,000 people in a football stadium right now. That would be the last time I'd get invited. We've got a special guest, Pastor Ed Collins. Let me tell you about the gospel proper. Everybody goes against popcorn. The lines to the bathrooms are huge. Where's the dude with the curly hair and the pearly whites? Come on, man. He just tells us this is great. Right? Do you think there's any coincidence here? Honestly, do you think there's any coincidence here, truth be told? Of course not. This is what Jesus said to expect. He said few are going to go through the narrow gate. Few find it. You know why? Because nobody's really looking. Nobody's really looking. I do everything humanly possible in this ministry to get the word out. I think this place would be overrun. The reality is 
it's not overrun, and it not, has nothing to do with what comes from this pulpit. God knows it's good. It's that people don't want it. That's the fact. Because people are way too invested in the self-life. They don't have no desire whatsoever. They don't even have a need. They don't even see themselves as depraved. They're like, I got problems, but I'm better than my neighbor. So I don't need to go to church yet. I'm only going to go to church when I'm really down, you know. And maybe just maybe, you know, whatever. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Up here on the board. False prophets, teachers, refers to teachers of false gospels. They are known by their fruit. For example, if they preach Christ but live unrepentant, sinful lives, we must consider their doctrines. It's possible some aren't even saved. Is that possible? Absolutely. It's absolutely possible that there are people that stand behind pulpits that are unsaved. They actually think they are. And they go on peddling a false gospel. And they're not even saved. So that's false prophets, folks. Refers to teachers of false gospels. They are known by their fruit. For example, if they preach Christ but live unrepentant, sinful lives, we must consider their doctrines. It's possible some aren't even saved. I look at the so-called pulpits today and wonder this same thing all the time. How is it that people purposely sin for the sake of personal gain? How even some of the largest denominations are teaching a false gospel? Consider the fruit of some of these denominations that you know have the gospel wrong. Consider the fruit. Consider the fruit that you see in their leaders and their followers. What do you see? What do you expect to see? Heck, most of them aren't even saved, most likely. So what do you expect to see for fruit? I see people that drive to church on any given Saturday night or Sunday or whenever it's convenient for them, or Sunday afternoon, they get all dressed up, they look the part, they pat each other on the back. Some of them even carry baskets around like three times, you know. And then they go right back to their lives. No fruit. No desire to know Jesus Christ whatsoever. Not a single desire to know Jesus Christ. And only God knows this better. I'm a teacher speaking principles. But you know what I'm talking about. They have no fruit whatsoever. How can that possibly be? Chances are, folks, they're not saved. Because the Word of God says dogmatically, listen, if you're saved, I'm going to make you bear fruit. Because a tree can only bear fruit after it's what? Its own kind. You're after my kind now. If you're truly saved, you want to mine. You're ratcheted into my vine, to the vine, right? So a person who never bears any fruit, guess what? They're not saved. That's an issue strictly between them and the Lord. But that's the principle. See how quiet it gets? People don't, they don't, they don't like that idea. They want the easy thing. They want easy believism. They, want, they, just want, they just want somebody to tell them that they're going to go to heaven. And that's the end of it. Don't disturb my little life. Don't disturb 
me. I'm not surrendering to you as Lord, but I'll take you as Savior. So you have to consider the fruit that's going on. I see fruit, bad fruit everywhere. And nobody seems to be consulting with the Lord Jesus Christ for any guidance. They all seem content with living a lie that allows them to never have to let go of the self-life, which is antithetical to the Lord Jesus Christ's own words. We just saw that. You must deny yourself. If you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. You've got to turn away from that and follow me. That's going to be your desire. And most of them don't have that desire. Most say, I'm going to hold this one and just give me more stuff. Give me this and give me eternal life. And all I have to do is say a prayer is what you're saying? Okay, good. Who's that sound like? Doesn't that sound like the rich, the ruler? Yeah. I have my self-righteousness. I feel like I'm good enough. I'm not threatened. It's not life and death. I'm not striving because it's not life and death situation over here, you see? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. God seems pretty pleased. You know, everything's kind of... But I'm not sure about this other thing, so just give me that too. I'll just do that thing really well, like I do everything over here really well, so I think. And I'll try to add Jesus Christ to a heap of garbage. Is that what Jesus taught? No. He said, I don't want you. I'll turn you around like I did with the ruler who came right up to the gate and I showed him what he needed to do and he said, no thank you. And Jesus says what? No thank you. You reject me, I reject you. Doesn't that say that in scripture somewhere? Mm-hmm. You see how it goes? Is this hard? No. But most people don't like it. Most people are scared. No, scared wouldn't be the right word. It's certainly offensive to some. But it really should put a spark under your seat right now for a lot of people in your own lives. If it's not you personally, I hope not that really needs to understand what Jesus said about the gospel. And if you've given anybody a thin or veiled or cheap gospel in the past and then sent them on their way as an authority on the subject and said, you're good to go, you're saved, you might want to trace back your steps. And you might want to ask them and make a conversation about their sinfulness and start there. I'm out of time. Let's bow our heads. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of studying Word here this evening. We ask for your blessings as we take what we've learned out to a lost and a pathetically dying world, Father. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. <coughs> thank you.